summer of 1979. I'm on my way into fourth grade. But during the summer, I had an opportunity to attend a summer recreation program. Summer recreation consisted of playing games, doing some learning, practicing some routines for the big citywide event that would happen at the end of the summer. But one of the most important things I remember about the summer recreation program is that I knew I could always get breakfast and lunch. I was grateful to be able to have meals provided and have a good time with my friends. Little did I know that my parents who were both teachers who didn't work in the summer were also grateful. Welcome to Elevating Voices, Ending Hunger. I'm Amy McReynolds, your host and the Chief Equity and Programs Officer at Feeding America. Elevating Voices, Ending Hunger is a series of conversations with everyday leaders who are disrupting the systems of inequity that drive food insecurity across this country. For years, the San Antonio Food Bank and the Boys and Girls Club of San Antonio have partnered to meet the needs of children and their families. When the pandemic hit, however, they realized that their work together was even more critical and needed to evolve. Almost overnight, the need in the community doubled and the inequities that were already there and present deepened. The pandemic exacerbated the already difficult choices that so many working families make on a regular basis. In an effort to ease some of those challenges, the Food Bank and the Boys and Girls Club worked together. They strengthened their existing partnership by listening to and working with their community to provide the support needed during this very difficult time. In the midst of it all, they found that they were providing more than food or even a safe space. They were also creating joy. Today, we're joined by Ada Sines, the interim CEO at the Boys and Girls Club of San Antonio, and Melanie McGuire, Chief Program Officer at the San Antonio Food Bank. Ada and Melanie, thank you so much for joining me today. I am very excited to dive into this discussion based on our, our earlier conversation. And, you know, the first thing I'd love to do is just learn more about the communities that you serve. What are some of their unique strengths and some of the challenges that the community is dealing with? Sure. So uh, the Boys and Girls Clubs of San Antonio, we are strategically located in areas where children need us most. Uh, We serve children ages 6 to 18, and we are typically in areas uh, where there's high poverty and high crime, um, and really areas that are um, deserts of sort of sorts of uh, resources for youth. Um, but uh, you know, in the same vein, uh, there are also areas that are very rich in culture um, and, and pride for that culture, um, where there's a very high focus and emphasis on family. Um, and their immediate community and neighborhood. Um, And the children that we serve are just so resilient and bright, and they're just full of potential and hope for their future. Yeah, and what Ada has described is, you know, really the 
kind of the threat of San Antonio. Um, you know, two thirds of San Antonio identifies as Hispanic or Latinx. And many of these families, um, you know, there's a real sense of community. So you would it's very common to see, you know, a, a mother and maybe an abuelo or a tío that live in the home um, with many of these families. Uh, San Antonio has a really rich cultural diversity to its communities. Um, we have a, a pretty young population of communities of color. Um, and so many of those um, communities have real uh, connections to organizations and schools um, and services. Um, we've got a very high um, rate of food insecurity here in Texas, but even a, a higher rate of child food insecurity. So 24% of, of children here in, in, in San Antonio are food insecure. Uh, so it's really imperative to have organizations um, like the Boys and Girls Club that offer um, you know, a lot of these resources to, to families, um, particularly in a very high time of need. Absolutely. You know, I love that you both talked about the richness of culture, the strength of family and extended family in many cases, and the strength of community and the pride in that being just really unique assets in the San Antonio area. I know you also mentioned, right, many of the communities that you serve are high poverty, high crime, high need, right? They are deserts of resources, I think is how you described it, Ada. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that, you know, most of the children uh, that you're working with and the families that you're working with are from black and brown households. What do you think drives some of the challenges that these families are are dealing with, right? Some of the economic challenges, the racial disparities that you're seeing in your community. I'm curious, what do you see happening? So the Boys and Girls Clubs, we, we see a lot of generational poverty. Hmm. So these are families who, um, for, for several generations, they, um, you know, they're still living in those same neighborhoods um, you know, sometimes even the same houses, um, you know, they're living in the same home that their grandparents, um, built, uh, you know, many, many years ago. And so, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of, um, families and children who, um, they just really need support in terms of understanding that, um, there's more out there than just, um, the, the neighborhoods that they're used to. Um, and then also understanding that there's lots of opportunities to um, to grow out of those of those communities, um, and and then also um, ways that they can that they can um, give back. You know, once once they are older and and successful, you know, how do we how do we be a change agent um, ourselves for our own communities moving forward? Yeah, and I think, you know, we have many households that are um, led by, by women. So a single mother is the kind of matriarch of the household. Um, and they're working, you know, working families. And so it's very difficult oftentimes for these families who um, are working sometimes more than one job to make ends meet to afford the increased cost of living that San Antonio, that we're seeing here in San Antonio. Um, and so, uh, you know, a lot of the times a child will come home um, and there won't be a parent at, in their home. Um, a lot of these families, um, you know, it, it, if they're able to uh, graduate high school, that, that would have been, that's a success. But oftentimes there's very large language barriers. So 
um, the importance of education and um, having that support system to provide those children with um, resources for educational attainment um, is so critical um, because we know that if that doesn't occur, about one in 25 San Antonio youth that are between the ages of like 16 and 25, they're disconnected. They're not in school and they're not working. And so that foundation that organizations can provide when children are um, in those in those formative years, um, while many of these parents are, are, you know, working service industry jobs um, and often not coming home till um, later in the evening. Yeah, I, I appreciate you both just pointing out, you know, so many of the systems and equity that are at play here, especially contributing to generations of poverty in communities, right? Education system, uh, unable to um, have a, a job, a decent job quality and salary, uh, and having to work multiple jobs in order to try to make ends meet. So I, it makes sense to me that, you know, your two organizations, the Food Bank and the Boys and Girls Club would come together. I'd love to hear a bit more about uh, your partnership and, and how did it come to be? And, and more importantly, how has it evolved over the years? So the, the Boys and Girls Club of San Antonio has relied on the amazing work of the food bank for many, many years. Um, we have partnered both in San Antonio, but um, also across the nation uh, for a really long time. Um, it's because of the food bank that we are able to provide um, nutritious meals to the kids that we serve every single day. So um, not only are we talking about you know lunch or supper, um, and a snack um, during our summer programming, uh, during our after-school programming. Um, but also this past year, because of the pandemic, we were open for the very first time for full day virtual learning support programming uh, all, all year round for the school. Um, and so uh, they were also able to provide us, us meals for that. So um, it's it's been a longstanding partnership, but definitely in the wake of the pandemic, um, it has grown a lot stronger. And I just want to commend Ada because I mean, it's a great testimony to an organization that has kind of a yes culture, right? Uh, an organization that understands their mission um, to be able to provide those resources, those critical resources to families and ultimately that safe haven for children, but understands that, um, you know, that we have to think uh, collectively and collaboratively together. And so if a meal allows a kid to come and stay after school and get assistance with homework or allows a family to be able to drop off a child while they work, um, then, then you know, we, we love being part of those kind of conversations and ways to, to think um, creatively and out of the box. Um, we're so fortunate to have the Boys and Girls Club um, really embedded in communities. And that's always the most um, beneficial way that families can get connected to services when it's right where they live, right where they work. Um, and so having those community-based organizations that are providing that assistance, and then how do we provide those wraparound services? Because behind a hungry child is a hungry family. And so the Boys and Girls Club not only um, is taking care of that child as part of their mission, but also understanding that that family also needs support and going the extra mile to make sure that they have those critical resources for families. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Ada. You know, I, I, um, I think about what you all have learned over the course of the years of your partnership and working together. 
but like many organizations, many people for that matter, many folks are sort of thinking about uh, what does return to normal really mean? And what have we learned over the course of this pandemic thus far that has has given us some new insight and new ways of, of doing things where we're creating a new normal for ourselves? I'm curious to hear from the both of you, what have you learned over the course of this you know, past year, year and a half during the pandemic that really is shaping your work now and, and even as you look ahead to the future of your work together? You know, I think as a food bank um, and, and kind of communication with partners like the Boys and Girls Club, you know, a lot of the, the hurdles and challenges our communities facing are really no different than the challenges we all face um, when we have something like COVID um, in our communities. And it's, you know, it's juggling um, parents having to think about um, getting to work um, because many of our families don't have the luxury of uh, paid time off. Um, they're service industry individuals. And so they're juggling how to get to work and also how to care for their children. Um, and, you know, for organizations um, like the Boys and Curls Club that have stepped up and have been open um, and receptive to to take care of community and, and really support families, I think that's that's been so beneficial. And and for us, you know, if we can infuse multiple services so that families aren't having to choose between dropping off their kids and getting groceries, right? How do we make the, that choice the simplest choice? Um and then what resources that can we do to help support these organizations in that success um, and allow them to continue the amazing programming that they're, that they're doing. Um, we've learned that um, we have to be flexible, uh, that the, the traditional family's workday doesn't end at 5 p.m. And so, um, and so, you know, the Boys and Girls Club opens late so that kids can stay there for a longer period of time so that families can work. And so having those services uh, at times that are convenient for families is so critical to our work. And I think that is something that we realize that we're going to have to continue um, to challenge ourselves to find ways that we can meet the needs of families that are having to kind of compete with so many different um, responsibilities that, that they're faced with now. Um, and we want to make sure that accessing food is not a barrier. Um, and the most important way to do that is to ensure that it's, it's right in their neighborhood. Yeah, Melanie brings up a really good point. Um, you know, this year, this has been the year of the pivot right for for so many entities because because of the pandemic and so when we first closed our doors when it first um hit our area uh which was right uh, after spring break of last year um you know we we called all of our families and we asked them how are you doing you know what do you need how can the boys and girls clubs help and uh there was a lot of fear and sadly that fear continued and continues today. Uh, but the overwhelming message that we received was that they needed basic necessities and food was at the top of that list. And so, um, you know, at that time uh, we turned to our strong partnership with the food bank and they were, you know, really leading this effort in San Antonio to make sure that 
Um, people in our community were not going to go hungry during this pandemic. And we hosted um, large, large distribution sites uh, at our clubhouses um, where families could do a drive-by um, and receive um, nutritious um, food options that they could you know, make meals for their family at home. Um, but then also we had uh, ready-to-eat meals that, that the food bank provided um, so that you know, kids um, and their families um, had a nutritious meal ready for them, you know, a warm meal um, that they could that they could eat. Um, so, so it's been very eye opening to to see the reality of the needs, like the true needs of the people in our in our community. Um, food insecurity is a real thing. Um, we see kids who come to our clubhouse; um, they they arrive hungry, and when you ask them you know, when, when was the last time you ate? They hadn't eaten since they'd been at our club the day before. So um, just the, you know, the, the reality of the need um, of, of San Antonio and, and so many people, um, you know, um, in Texas and in our nation, it's, it's very apparent through this, through this pandemic and, and the need for organizations to, regardless of what your mission is, if you're a nonprofit and you're in human services, you need to be able to um, adapt accordingly to the needs um, of the people that you serve based on what's going on in your world at the time. So if I could just follow that that thread for a minute, Ada, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you said the start of the pandemic and, and probably as the pandemic has continued, you're asking your families what they need and for these sort of immediate needs. But I'm, I'm curious, what are your family saying about what they need to improve their lives longer term, right? What, what do they say? What do they share with you in terms of their needs or, or their hopes? What do they wish for? We have so many families who they want the very best for their kids. Mm. Um, they, they want them to have bright futures, um, but there are so many obstacles stacked against them just in their day-to-day reality. Um, and so they are really looking to, um, you know, organizations um, to, to provide that support, right? It takes a village um, to, to raise children. And so, you know, when Melanie talks about, you know, single parent households, um, households where the mother, you know, it's just the mother raising children by herself, or it's, you know, grandma and grandpa, um, you know, trying to do their very best to, to raise their grandchildren. They really need that support so that they can um, know that their children are in a safe place um, so that they can, you know, provide the, the, you know, go to work and have the monetary means to provide for their family. Um, and they just need, you know, resources to, to help their children um, thrive, thrive in school um, and, and see the opportunities that, that are out there for their kids to have a better life. Melanie, what are, you, what are you thinking? I know the food bank has been uh, in, engaging in this work and partnerships work, but what are you hearing from the community? Yeah, I mean, you know, this pandemic, unlike any disaster we've ever faced here, um, has kind of been drawn out. And so, you know, it's touched, what we hear is it's touched so much of people's lives in ways that they really never expected. Um, and it changed what felt like overnight, right? And so, um, 
you know, the fear, the anxiety um, as parents who now are navigating a virtual environment for schooling, um, who are making the tough decision about whether they can leave their child at home um, and go to work um, and have them, you know, essentially um, assist raising their their younger siblings. Um, the, the fear that kids were feeling about what this pandemic means and the lack of social connectiveness they could have with their peers. Um, it's taken quite a bit from families um, and you can see that in their faces. I mean, you can see the, the pain and the anxiety that families face. And I think organizations that were able to continue to open their doors amidst their own fears and amidst their own concerns about themselves and their families, um, were able to provide, particularly for children, that emotional support that um, that has, but I believe has really long-term impacts as we kind of weather through this post-pandemic environment. Um, you know, kids that were able to see other kids, um, kids that felt supported in what seems like an impossible educational environment if you've never navigated Zoom and every other technology that kids had to face um, in, a, in a very short amount of time. So, you know, I think, you know, for, for those that we can connect to services, it's just a, a, a little bit of relief to know that um, that there is something out there because, man, so many organizations, unfortunately, had to close their doors quite abruptly. And so families that once relied on services, um, you know, and had that kind of so social support system and um, were now finding that maybe some of those, those, uh, those programs or services were not being offered. So those that were able to step up, um, I commend them because they, um, they really, uh, it really is critical for families because we know that it, you know, many of these families were food insecure before the pandemic even started. And so the concern was, you know, as, as those organizations were not there, you know, not having to kind of fall farther behind um, and, and really that uphill battle um, is pretty steep um, once that occurs. Well, Melanie brings up a really good point about the emotional support that that's needed um, through this pandemic. Um, you know, kids for the first time they were um, they were isolated. Um, they were trying to do trying to be a student on a laptop, staring at a screen all day, um, and that's not um, what kids should be doing. You know, they should be engaged and hands on. Um, learning, um, learning should be exciting. And so, you know, doing virtual learning um, for many kids was was really difficult. And so, um, you know, when the school year ended, uh, we wanted to have three priorities in, in our summer program. Um, first and foremost, we wanted kids to just be kids again, you know, to come to our clubhouse and have fun and be engaged and and have hands-on activities where they can play with their with their friends, um, because um, isolation was a was a real thing for many kids this year. Um, and so, the second area that we wanted to focus on was emotional support. So, you know, social emotional um, um, learning activities that we could provide in the classroom. Um, you know, during during their regular day here, um, being able to identify what they were feeling and talk through, um, you know, what they're feeling um, and going through when they were home alone. 
Um, and then also um, providing academic support. Uh, we know that kids were, um, there was a lot of learning loss that occurred this year uh, because of virtual learning. And so we wanted to provide um, academic enrichment programming um, for our kids to kind of help them through, help them navigate that learning loss so that they can, you know, be ready for this next school year. I'm curious, you know, as you as you both talk about, um, you know, the the sense of relief, um, this idea of it taking a village to raise children. Lord knows, I'm grateful for everyone who had in the village a hand in the village that that raised me, and and you know, you talk about kids being kids and emotional support and academic support. You know, this is this is work that goes deep. And there are times when we are having conversations with supporters or funders of our work who want to know how many, right? Like more, more quantity. But the, what I'm hearing you both describe is work that actually goes deep. So I, I'm curious, how are you all navigating this quantity versus I'll call it quality Mm-hmm. Um, conversation with supporters, with donors, with others who are interested in in engaging and supporting your work. So for the first time, so before the pandemic, you know, this whole idea of quantity versus quality, you know, of course, we want to serve as many kids as possible. We don't want to leave any child behind. Um, so, so, you know, we want to serve as many as possible. Um, but we're also in the business of, of impacting lives. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a balance there. And so this idea of, you know, quality versus quantity goes, you know, well before the pandemic. Um, but through this pandemic, it's kind of been um, an, a learning opportunity um, because we were forced, you know, um, human services was forced to um, ensure that they were maintaining um, distance, you know, between between bodies. And so for the first time, we were forced to serve less kids in very small groups so that we can ensure safety um, and, you know, reduce the, the possibility of transmission of COVID. Um, and so even though that was really difficult to not be able to serve as many kids as we wanted to, it was actually really eye-opening to to say, oh, wait a minute, you know, we don't have, you know, 35 kids, um, you know, that one staff member, you know, needs to, needs to be there for. They have a group of six or a group of 10 or 12. And so the level and the dosage of, of support goes a much, much further way when you have, you know, a smaller group of kids, because every individual's needs is unique to that individual. And so in order to provide the best services, the best resources um, to each individual, it takes time to, to build those relationships and, and to have those conversations and to be able to connect them to the resources that will truly benefit them. Um, and so it's been, it's been really eye-opening for us. Um, and, and we have started having those conversations, um, with donors and it's, I think it's been an aha moment for a lot of, a lot of, uh, donors who provide funding, 
um, because they're in that same mentality of, well, we want our dollars to go as far as it possibly can. We want to we want it to touch as many kids as possible. Um, but but there's this really um, eye opening moment where you realize like, you know, it 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 really um, serves children well to be able to have that that, you know, that smaller group of kids. And so quality um, is is just as or even more important than quantity. That's right. That's right. Melanie, what about you all at the San Antonio Food Bank? How are you thinking about this question? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. You know, I think as I think about our for-profit organizations and they, you know, they talk about customer service and the importance of customer service and, you know, and you know, I think within our work we've always had that idea that we wanted to ensure that families receive services that are attuned to what their needs are. And that involves really active listening. Um, And I think we've done a good job of doing more of that now um, and really listening to organizations and their needs. Um, And on top of that, I think, you know, as we talk and learn more about the social determinants of health, we understand that that connection between food and those services is so critical, right? And so um, it's forcing organizations and and the food bank to work much more closely together to say, you know, what is it that you're looking to achieve and how can the resources that we have here at the food bank help your organization do just that, right? And so for, for organizations that serve children, it's things like a, a warm meal, right? It's healthy, nutritious food that ensures that kids, um, you know, are, um, you know, stay well and are active and, and lead healthy lives, you know, for, for other organizations that might be different. But it, you know, it's that, it's that discipline of taking a step back and really listening to others. And certainly, I think for donors, it's the intentionality of carving out that time. You know, I think the idea to have those conversations, to bring organizations together and communities together is something we want to do. But the pressures around deadlines and, and you know, um, outcomes is, is really put on all organizations that, you know, this one thing that you're going to do is going to produce this outcome. Well, really, at the end of the day, it's the relationships in the community that produces that, right? Um, and so we, we have to do a better job of telling that story. Um, and we have to be able to um, listen to one another because um, no one organization is going to carry that torch. We have to do it together. Yes. And, and I've heard you all describe this very synergistic partnership that you have in terms of, you know, the Boys and Girls Club leaning on the food bank, right, as a partner to provide nutritious food and nutritious meals to children and families, and how that has given the Boys and Girls Club a little more flexibility in your budget to create a safe space, ensuring you've got money to pay for staff or to fix something in your space that may not be quite right, that, that that's important for children to be able to access. So that, that synergy of partnership uh, has been has been cleared when we've talked in the past, and, and uh, definitely I'm hearing you talk more about that today. I'm wondering, you know, as we uh, begin to wrap up our conversation, uh, you know, you've talked about 
families in your community wanting, you know, great lives for their children to ensure that there is uh, a village, that children can be kids again, that there is resilience in the community, that families are able to come together and continue to build this rich diversity of culture that's in your community. As you think about, you know, maybe 10 years from now, if you were to close your eyes and and imagine that it's 2031, what do you see happening differently in your community? What has the pandemic taught us? What, What have we learned from this pandemic that you're seeing happen within community, seeing change? I've seen our community step up to the plate Hmm. through this pandemic. I've seen so many individuals and corporations and nonprofits and government entities come together um, and, and really um, unite to, to lift up those who are most in need during this pandemic. Um, And it's been, it's been really uh, amazing to, to be a part of and to see. And so my hope is that that continues, um, that, you know, we continue to be, um, to, to build those strong partnerships, um, and to build upon those strong partnerships to really create, um, a lasting and true change, um, in our city. Um, and so, you know, when I close my eyes, I see, I see less fear and anxiety, and I see more um, joy and happiness. Mm. Um, you know, I hear children laugh, laughing, um, um, and and being kids and um, thriving um, in school, um, and knowing that their um, you know the possibilities for their future are are mm. endless. Beautiful. Thank you, Ada. Yeah, I think Ada put it really eloquently. Um, You know, as we here embark on a new fiscal year at the food bank, um, we've had these conversations, right, about what does that future look like? And, you know, we all came to a consensus that we didn't want to return to normal because normal meant that um, black and brown communities had have high rates of food insecurity, that we still have a lot of work to do to be able to reach those that may not be able to reach our services currently. And so um, because there's all these other barriers that um, beyond just accessing that food, there's transportation and housing and education. Um, and so we want to create a new journey for us, right? And and we want to do it together with, with our organizations, with our community, with our city, with our government officials. Um, and we're embarking on an, a new direction, which is what we're calling Secure San Antonio. And replace San Antonio with any other city across the country, right? Um, and and just as Ada mentioned, it's a it's an environment that um, we um, we don't have that fear and anxiety, um, and that we're working collectively with all these other drivers that are. Um, so critical to to help us move forward, you know, educational attainment and job training, um, affordable housing um, and housing security for individuals, um, you know, um, healthcare and the importance of of having that when you're uh, when you're sick, so that um, you know we don't see things like we've seen in in this pandemic with for many families. Um, all of these things, uh, coupled with so much more, are so critical 
to kind of painting that new picture. Um, and ultimately, it will take all of us kind of working together. Um, and I think if anything that this pandemic has shown us is that we have that ability to do so. When times are tough, when grocery stores um, lack those basic needs, communities inherently, and I would say particularly San Antonio, has in a remarkable way of uh, working together. And um, we're going to need to do a lot more of that um, if we want to see those changes in our community um, and particularly in communities where we have a lot of work ahead of us. And so I'm encouraged I'm, um, and excited about um, what that future could look like in those 10 years. And I am so grateful for organizations and volunteers who at the midst of a global pandemic um, have stepped up and, and helped us in that, in that path forward. Well, I have to tell you, Melanie, I am um, very hopeful that with uh, the work that you're doing at the San Antonio Food Bank, the work that Ada is doing with the Boys and Girls Club of San Antonio, that Secure San Antonio becomes a mantra just beyond the, the four walls of the food bank, that it really becomes a, a rallying cry to bring people, continue to bring people together, to step up, as you said, Ada, in the community and come together for those who are most in need. I, I am very encouraged by what you all have shared with me, by the work that you're doing, the community you're creating, the joy that you're creating in San Antonio. And I just want to thank you both, Ada and Melanie, for joining me today in this conversation. I appreciate you both. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elevating Voices, Ending Hunger. If you enjoyed our conversation today with Melanie and Ada and want to get involved in the work Feeding America is doing to address equity and food insecurity, visit feedingamerica.org backslash act. Don't forget to share this show with others and be sure to subscribe so that you can get new episodes as soon as they are available. I'm Amy McReynolds, and I look forward to continuing our equity journey together in our next episode.